So I want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads, and uh, hope God's blessing you. And uh, now's the time for half the congregation to remember it is Father's Day, and to uh, immediately we take out our phones and start texting. Hey, Dad, was waiting for you to get up, didn't want to do it. <laughs> but truly, I hope you have a great day. God has given us a beautiful day uh, to worship Him, to celebrate fathers, and um, if your father has gone on to be with the Lord, um, we pray uh, for your heart to be comforted if it needs comforting, and for you to remember all of the good times that you had. Um, you know, Peter wrote to a people that he knew would be going through uh, a great persecution because of their faith. Um, he knew that they would find trouble uh, out in the world simply because they called themselves, because they were Christians. Um, he was preparing them for what was to come. And I, I sense that as my role, you know, in the last couple of weeks that I'm here uh, to do the same. Um, as your pastor, I've really been trying in this series in First Peter some selected passages to, to prepare your hearts for what uh, is to come. Um, because I know that each of us, um, have been through tough times. I know that each of us will go through some hard times, maybe related to our faith, maybe related to uh, our belief in Jesus Christ. Um, and either you are going through a tough time, or you're going through a tough time now, or you just come out of a tough time. Whether it be that common suffering we all face, because we all face troubles. We all face suffering of many, many kinds because we live in a sin-filled, fallen world and because um, of the suffering we face because of our faith in Christ. Now, maybe you have or have not faced trouble like that, persecution, as it were. But I think it's only going to intensify in the years to come. And I think the New Testament really supports that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, because Jesus Christ will never be nearer or dearer to you, more powerful. You will never experience him abiding in you than when you suffer for his namesake. And so know that if, when it comes, when it happens, that that is really a good thing. And Paul always experienced joy in the midst of his suffering. Well, Today, I want to uh, give you the title of the message, and I want to talk about survival kit for tough times. What do you need in your survival kit? And we'll look at 1 Peter chapter 5, only verses 5 through 11 uh, today. So, uh, a survival kit for tough times, and uh, things that we need to put in that kit if we're to survive, and maybe not even survive, but to thrive. When the going gets tough. So um, let me uh, start with uh, verse 5. I'm going to read all the way through verse 11. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on Him, because He cares for you. 
Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone he can devour. Resist him. Firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you into His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. Amen. Well, what should we put in our survival kit? What ought to go in there? Well, I'm going to give you five spirits today. Five, five things that you must be about. And the first is a spirit of submissiveness. A spirit of submissiveness. Look in uh, verse 5 again, uh, if you will. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. In other words, submit to those uh, older than yourself or to the, those who are leaders within the church. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. The King James New and the Old Version says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And this is not the first time that Simon Peter mentions this issue of submissive. Submissiveness. Uh, we did not go over these particular uh, chapters or verses about submission, uh, but just to give you an idea, he, he talks to us about how we are to submit ourselves to government. And uh, in the Bible, it doesn't say whether good government or bad government, it just says the government. And I'll remind you that uh, uh, the government in Paul's day, Nero was the ruler. He was the uh, the Caesar, the emperor at the time. Uh, his reputation was one of the worst reputations you can have related to Christians. But it says in uh, chapter 2 and verse 13 of the same book that we're studying, submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether uh, to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out uh, by him to punish those who do what is evil, and to praise those who do what is good. No government is perfect, but we are to be submissive. Now look at chapter 2, verse 18. <laughs> when you go to work, you're, be, you're to be subject to your boss. You say, well, if I have a good boss, well, Paul doesn't say that it has to be a good boss. He just says, household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. There is something special about a submissive spirit. And then in chapter 3 and, and verse 1, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. And um, you know, Peter says, be, wives, be in submission to your husbands. Some say, well, if he's a good husband, but Peter says, even if he's ungodly, he may be won over by your good and godly behavior. And uh, again, in chapter 5, verse 5, young men, be submissive 
to those who are older, or to the elders, meaning the, the leaders of the church. That is, respect the authority and the spiritual wisdom of older age and those who are in position of leadership. And then he wraps it all up by saying, all of you, all of you, be submissive to one another. Now, if we're going to survive, what does this thing, submission, um, look like? What, what does it have to do with putting it in our survival kit? Well, uh, first, what is submission? Well, it's not allowing yourself to be walked over like a doormat. That's not what he's talking about. It's not cowering in the corner you know, while somebody lords their authority over you. It, it, it's not saying that you're inferior to someone else. The Bible teaches we are all one in Christ, right? So submission is this, and I have this written for you in your outline. Submission is one equal, willingly placing himself under another equal, that God may be glorified. And I think that's a wonderful definition of biblical submission. And so you say, well, and, and with that definition, um, it's not talking about government, you know, a bad government, bad bosses, or bad mates. You know, it, it, it's talking about everyone in the church, which means, well, I, I guess it's saying, as, as I submit to another, they submit to me. Well, yeah, yeah. One equal, willingly placing himself under another equal, so that God may be glorified. So why do we do that? Because through submission comes power. With submission comes power. You submit. You submit and surrender yourself to victory. Let me tell you what I mean. You see, you are never more like the devil than when you have a rebellious spirit. Right? Never more like the devil. It is rebellion that made the devil the devil to begin with. You are never more like Jesus than when you have a submissive spirit. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 8. I can't figure out what's causing that. Okay, all right, Hope, hopefully no more of that static. Okay, thanks, thanks Nate. Uh, if you want to turn back, I don't have this up on the screen, but uh, chapter 2, Philippians, verses 5 through 8, you know these words well, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity as when he had come as man. Verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on the cross. I, I could go on. Other, other verses point to that. But if you're rebellious, then you begin to lose your power with God. And you have tough times and tough days. I mean, things are only going to get harder when, when, when your spirit of rebellion rises up and overtakes a spirit of submission. And you're going to need power. And God does not grant power to rebels. You see, you will never be over until you learn to be under. You will never truly be over others in authority until you learn to subject yourself to authority. And it's a basic principle 
we find in the Word of God. When I rebel against any authority, it's not really that authority that I'm even rebelling against. I'm rebelling against the Lord. It is God that I'm rebelling against because God has ordained that authority in my life. Now, it, you know, Paul didn't uh, mention you know, all, all the authorities that are possible to mention. I mean, we have authorities at school. We have um, uh, authorities uh, in our own life. Uh, we have authorities flying through the air, right? Because, you, know, you know, you read the fine print. Those flight attendants um, are the police uh, to you while you're, while you're on that plane. When that door shuts, they're an authority figure. And they may handle it well or may not handle it well. But uh, these things happen. These, it's learning to be submissive. And the church is a body. And the church has a head, Jesus Christ. And Christ, because he's the head, we must submit to the head at all times. As we're submitting to one another, we must ultimately place our allegiance at the foot of the cross. Sometimes we think we're just rebelling against uh, a leader or someone else in the church, but we're actually rebelling against the head, Jesus Christ. But we need each other, and we need to learn to submit to one another in these end times, in these tough and changing and challenging times. So put a spirit of submissiveness in your survival kit. Number two, we need to put uh, a spirit of servitude, kind of related to submissiveness, but a little bit different. A spirit of servitude. Let me read verses 5 and 6 for us again. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility. And that's a toward one another. That's a very interesting phrase, a choice of phrases that Peter uses. Uh, so look at and underline this interesting phrase. Clothe yourself with humility. And the Greek word to clothe uh, actually means to tie a knot. And a servant in that day would, uh, if they were a slave or just serving, would put on a servant's apron and tie a good knot in it and go to work. So they would talk about tying a knot. It literally refers to putting on that servant's apron. Uh, it, it really talks about tying on humility. And I think that's where Peter is coming from. Uh, when a servant would do a menial task, that person would, would put on an apron. So why does Peter use such figurative language, uh, figurative speech, if you will, to describe humility. Well, it's because Peter was present with the other disciples that special night, that last supper of our Lord, when the book of John, the gospel of John tells us Jesus took off his outer garment and wrapped, tied, if you will, a towel or an apron around himself and he knelt on the ground and he began to wash the disciples feet and back in in bible times when you were invited uh, to a home you know people wore sandals they didn't have closed toed shoes um, you know back then so they walked around 
it, they may have to walk a long distance, and their feet would naturally get dusty. Uh, very few paved roads. Most of it was dirt. And so their feet would kind of get dirty. Now, you know, I want you to just feel for a moment that feeling of having dirty feet. All right, so imagine, don't, don't actually do it. We don't want to stink up the room. But don't imagine taking your shoes off. If you have socks on and taking your socks off and feeling, boy, I, my feet could sure use a, a washing right now. And then everybody around you will agree. Just thinking about somebody coming along and washing your feet, it's very refreshing, isn't it? It just restores you. It's like, you know, you may not feel dirty in any other part of your body, but, oh, boy, my Cozies feel good. And so Jesus did that with his disciples. Now, those high and mighty disciples would never even think of getting on their knees and washing one another's feet. But the Lord Jesus laid aside his garment and took a basin of water and a towel and clothed himself with humility, tying that towel around him and washing the disciples' feet. And then we get to Peter. Peter says, oh, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And you remember Jesus' response to, to Peter was, if I, you don't let me wash your feet, then I've got nothing to do with you. And Peter was taken aback, and he said, well, then, not just my feet, but wash me from my head to my toe, my toes to my head. Just wash all of me. Boy, I... and then Jesus responds to him, makes it clear that he who has had a bath does not need to wash again. And the symbolism is so clear to us. The bath Jesus is talking about refers to salvation. You know, he who has been saved doesn't need to be saved all over again. But even though we have been saved, we come to Jesus daily, and I hope you do. I hope you're in the Word of God. I hope you're in meaningful prayer. And I hope you're allowing Jesus to continue to wash your feet, to restore you, to refresh you, and to renew you. Jesus then tells them that if he, their, as their Lord, as their master, washes their feet, they should also wash one another's. Servitude, a spirit of servitude. And Jesus is not talking about a formal church ceremony. Now, maybe some of you grew up in a foot-washing Baptist church. And there are some good godly churches out there, and they practice this on a, as a regular. They, they feel like Jesus is teaching this as a ceremony. And I think most Baptists believe that, that, Jesus, that Jesus is not, that he would rather you serve each other in meaningful ways. Submit, serve, a spirit of servitude. Imagine Jesus in our church right now, physically, and imagine him coming up to you to wash your feet. And you don't want to make the same mistake that Peter did, and you, you know, take off your shoes, and if you're wearing socks, whatever, and you, you give Jesus your feet. And then Jesus asks you to wash his feet. Oh, what a privilege. What an honor it would be to get down on your knees and lovingly wash the feet of Jesus. Some people say that can't be done. You know, but Jesus is not going to come physically here. But it can be done. It can be done. Jesus said, whenever you have done it for the least of these brothers of mine, you have done it unto me. 
You can't do it with a holier-than-thou attitude. The one thing about washing feet, as you do it, you can never look down on anybody. You're at the lowest point of their own body. You're there at the floor. You can't look down upon others. So you need a, a spirit of submissiveness. You need a spirit of servitude. Put in your survival kit for these last days, for these tough days, for these changing times. But third, I think you need a spirit of serenity. A spirit of serenity. I um, have a number of scriptures for you there. We're not going to go over any of those, but as I studied this week, uh, I just found them to be very, very helpful. And so I give them for your own uh, benefit. You can read them now or later. doesn't matter. But let me just focus on verse 7. In verse 7, in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, casting all your cares and anxiety upon him because he cares for you. I love that verse. I consider, I consider that one of my favorite verses of Scripture. Casting all your cares, or some versions say anxiety, because cares and anxiety are roughly the same thing in the Bible. The word care used in the first part of the verse refers to those anxieties, refers to the worries of life, those things that um, consume us in a destructive way. The Greek word for anxiety means to be drawn in different directions or maybe pulled in different directions. But if those are your cares, well, what does it mean that God cares for you? Well, the word cares for you, cares, that is, this is what God does. See, he's talking about the noun, what all cares do you have? What all anxieties and worries and problems do you have? Let God care. That word care means uh, to be concerned with, to be interested in. In other words, you matter to God. Your concerns matter to God. God is interested in the affairs of you. Now, you think of yourself amongst several billion people on the planet, and yes, God cares for you. He doesn't need time to get around to you. He's always there, and He cares about what you're going through. So take comfort in the fact that you matter to Him, that He is so interested and concerned with you. And oh yes, Peter tells us all about suffering. There are three classes of people. I, I, I told you at the beginning of the message, there are people who have just come out of problems. There are people, probably in this room, who are going through some issues right now. And there are some who have no idea, but there are problems right around the corner. That's probably all of us. So where are you in all of that? Um, In fact, I think Job really said it very well. Man that is born of woman will have trouble. Man that is born of woman. Well, that's everybody. Everybody born of woman will have trouble. But praise God that we can cast all of our cares, whatever you're going through, all of the anxieties, all of our worries on Him. He says, put them on me. 
And that word cast is a strong word. It means with deliberateness and decisiveness. Some of us may pray just briefly, oh Lord, I've, I've got a, a tough day. I'm, I've got so many problems and, and I just, I just kind of give them, just give them over to you. And, and, then, and then after prayer time, we take the, all those problems, we take all of those burdens and put them back on us. Throw them over our shoulder and just are miserable. Because even though we asked God's help, we did not decisively and deliberately cast those cares upon the Lord. I came across an old story. I got a book with you know, old illustrations, you know, uh, going way back to when farmers were, uh, had, a, had a horse-drawn wagon. And, and so this farmer uh, is, is going forward, and, and uh, he's uh, you know, carrying a load of stuff in the back of his wagon, and he comes across a, a guy with a huge 75-pound grain of, uh, 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 sack of grain on his shoulder, and he's, he's struggling, walking down the street, walking down the street, and uh, the, the farmer says, hey, let, let me give you a lift. That's, that's just too much to bear. And the guy says, oh, thank you very much. And he crawls up into the wagon uh, with the farmer. But he's still got this, this sack of grain on his shoulder. And he says, my goodness, man, put the sack of grain in the back and relieve uh, your burden. And he's going, he, the, the guy just says, oh, it's enough that you're willing to give me a ride. I can't ask that you carry my sack of grain as well. <laughs> Listen, if you have gotten into the wagon with Jesus, don't you think he can handle your burden of sins as well? The, you, you trust him with your eternity. Don't you think he can do something with time? If he can't take care of your problems now, can he really take care of your sins? We say, thank you, Jesus, for taking care of my sins and, and, and nailing them to the cross with you and forgiving me. But, oh, Jesus, these, these burdens I've got, they're too much. You know how silly that sounds. Commit those burdens to the Lord in these last days when these times are so tough. Willingly, deliberately, decisively cast your burden upon the Lord because He cares for you. And some of us just have you know, too much of uh, maybe of our parents in mind or, or we had a teacher or a boss that you know, gripes and complains. You know, like we, we, we just bring them another problem. We say, oh, I, boy, you know... I don't want to have to take this problem. They're, they're just going to be all over me and gripe and complain. Jesus is not like that. He is not like that. He is a patient Savior and Lord, and He never gets overburdened, but He will take your burden. All right, but not only um, should we have a spirit of submissiveness and servitude and also a spirit of serenity and peace and calm, but... In case we want to get too happy-go-lucky, <laughs> I think we also need, fourthly, a spirit of seriousness. A spirit of seriousness. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone that he may devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The King James Version says, be sober. 
other versions, sober-minded. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around looking for someone to devour. And Peter tells them in verse 7 to be carefree. But in verses 8 and 9, he is, he is reminding them not to be, so you're carefree here, that's good, you've given your burdens to the Lord, just don't get careless. Just because we cast our burden upon the Lord doesn't mean that we engage in this happy-go-lucky, carefree attitude, especially toward the devil. And Peter is saying to be sober-minded, to be deadly serious about your dealings with the devil. And he gives us, I think, a, a threefold recipe. Let's look at what uh, he does. He, first of all, he says, recognize him. Recognize him. Peter calls him your enemy, the devil. Did you know you have an enemy? Well, let, listen, if Jesus is your friend, you definitely have an enemy. His name is the devil or Satan. So who is Satan? And I have this written uh, in your notes as well. He is the adversary who accuses the, the Christian in the presence of God. He is the prince of this world. Uh, his residence is on this earth, and he rests, re, uh, you know, restlessly moves about in and throughout the world. The earth, as he said to God. And Satan not only controls the whole world, but is also a slanderer who can slightly turn the truth into a lie. And he seeks to undermine your faith in God. So recognize him. It is, it's a good thing to study uh, about the devil, to know his strategy, to know his appearance, to know how he comes at us. And then not only recognize him, but secondly, respect him. Respect him. He goes about as a roaring lion. Don't underestimate the, the devil's power. And it's a strong figure of speech that Peter is using. It doesn't mean that we have to tremble before the devil or fear the devil. But we are to respect him. He is like fire. You don't worship fire. You don't give your life to fire or pray to fire, but you sure better respect it. Same thing with electricity. An electrician won't last long if he doesn't respect the power of the electrical power coming through those cables and that wire, those wires. You need to recognize him. He's the devil. You need to respect him. He's, he's kind of like a roaring lion. Why is there such a great gaff between uh, us, you know, when we go to a zoo and you have the, the lions and the tigers and so forth? Why is there so many barriers? Because we, need, we respect them. We respect them. And number three, resist him. Resist him. You know, here in verse 9, I think Peter has given probably a personal testimony. You see, Jesus had warned him about the wiles of the devil. Jesus said to Peter in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31, Simon, Simon, he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Peter responds by saying, Lord, I am ready to go to prison and to death. That big old fisherman kind of swaggers and he brags a little bit, but he, he's not being serious-minded. He's not being vigilant. He's not being sober or sober-minded. And later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does what Jesus find uh, Peter doing when Jesus 
uh, own uh, sweat drops are turning to blood, when he is in anguish, what does he find Peter doing? Sleeping. Jesus wakes him and says, hey, Peter, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And only hours after he promises to go to Jesus, go with him to prison uh, and to death, he, he then finds himself cursing and swearing and profaning the name of the Lord, denies the Lord three times. And the devil pounced on him and swallowed him whole. Now, I may be speak, uh, speaking to a lot of folks in here who, you know, things are, are going very well. You say, well, pastor, you know, I'm, I, I'm going, not going through a tough time, but I, I, I feel good. I, my health seems to be great. I've got a little money in the bank. My kids are happy and doing well. Everything's kind of coming up roses for me. And that's great. I'm glad. We need times like that. We need times like that. If you haven't had times like that in a long time, I wish them upon you. It's, it's good to have times like that. But you know more than any other now, when it comes to those times, we need to know that it's times like that when we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. That the devil is sitting right outside the door, so to speak, ready to pounce on us like a roaring lion. Recognize him, respect him, and resist him. Be vigilant. Because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Aren't you glad that Jesus is greater? Now, not only should we have a spirit of submissiveness and, and servitude and serenity and seriousness, but finally, a fifth thing that we need to have in our survival kit in these last days is a spirit of stability. A spirit of stability. And that's kind of what he talks about in these last two verses. The God of all grace, verses 10 and 11, the God of all grace who called you into His eternal glory in Christ will Himself do these four things. Restore, establish, strengthen, and support you when you have suffered a little while. To Him be dominion forever. Amen. Here is a person who has met trial and tribulation but is still standing. When all the dust is settled, all the artillery of hell has been fired, he is that person, she is that person who is still standing because God is a God of all grace, it says in verse 10. The God of all grace. Well, what would that grace do? What would that grace do? Number one, it'll make you fit. It'll make you fit. And I, I, I look at the word restore, he will restore you, as, or as it says in the King James, uh, perfect you. Now, this word for restore and perfect does not mean to mature. As another word for perfect, perfect means elsewhere in the New Testament, right? It actually means to mend or to repair. Anybody here need mending or repairing in some way, in some form or fashion? some way that we're broken, some way that we're hurt, some bad habit that we have. We often, and I probably all the time, need mending and repairing. That is, He fits us for ministry. But it was also used of, of resetting the bone uh, when, when a bone was broken. The, the word uh, perfect 
would be used to mend the bone. Also, a, a time of mending the nets. We need to perfect the nets. We need to make them fit for fishing. God is going to restore you and make you fit again after your time of suffering. Secondly, what does grace do? It makes you firm. It makes you firm. Notice in the New King James Version, it says, establish you. That's a good word. You are not going to be blown around and shoved around any longer by the devil. He will establish you, make you firm. God's grace will make you fit. God's grace will make you firm. But something else it'll do, it'll make you forceful. It'll strengthen you. It'll strengthen you, make you strong. God's grace does that. Not a physical strength, not monetary strength. Unfortunately for most of us, not intellectual strength. (laughs) But friends, listen, you can be strong as iron with the grace of God. And in tough times, God can give you a strength that is absolutely inexhaustible apart from His grace. Not only fit and forceful and firm, but fourthly, He will make you uh, fixed. Fixed. And, And I get that from the word support. He will support you. This grace, this God of all grace, grace will do that and support you. Uh, the, the NIV says steadfast. The New King James says settled. It means to lay a foundation, to lay a foundation about. Well, what kind of a grace is it? Let's just wrap up this message and quickly go over you know, three things that this grace is. Because we tend to run over passages like this, the God of all grace, yes, He is. But let's figure it out. We are, uh, first of all, it is a saving grace. It is a saving grace. We are saved by grace. Oh, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You're not saved by joining the church or getting baptized or keeping the Ten Commandments or obeying the golden rule. These are all good. They have their place, and we should all be doing those things. But they don't save us. Jesus died on the cross to do something for us that we could never do on our own. It is a saving grace. But what else? What else is it? It is a sustaining grace. A sustaining grace. Jesus told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, now it's not on your notes, but you know it well, my grace is sufficient for you. It's enough for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So we come to Jesus. Listen, don't wait to come to Jesus when you think you're good enough, powerful enough, strong enough. He won't accept you then. We need to come before Him completely depleted and and allow Him to sustain us. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have all ready come this grace that has led me safe thus far and grace will lead me on not only is it a saving grace and a sustaining grace but finally it is a surviving grace look at verse 10 god of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in christ the eternal glory verse 11 says just very very shortly To Him be dominion forever. Amen. How long does grace have 
some expiration date? Does it have a shelf life? To Him be power and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining like the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we had first begun. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we're going to have to survive the days to come. We may have to fight for our faith, not fight other people, but the devil for sure. We're going to have struggles because of our faith. Father, it is getting more and more difficult to live out our faith and to take a stand for our faith. Father, for many of us, it may require being silenced or fined or jailed, or worse. Father, as we prepare for those times, help us to know that all of the answers of how to handle the end times or tough times are in your holy word. And I hope and pray that uh, while most of us probably didn't get all of what was preached this morning or all the meaning um, in this passage, I pray that you'll give us what we do need. Maybe one truth we can walk away, Father, and say, thank you, Lord. I'm I'm ready for whatever the day has for me. So, Father, I pray that we'll learn as a people to cast all of our burdens upon you because you give us strength and you care for us. Help us to do that. If nothing else, Lord, teach us. Help us to be submissive to one another and to learn what true submission is to be a a servant to one another and to serve one another, Father, in in ways that, that will be helpful to one another. Lord, whatever you have for us today, I pray that we'll obey. And Lord, if there's someone here today who has yet to receive Christ, I pray today is the day of their salvation. Lord, whatever it is, I pray that you'll help folks to come to join Lord, there's a number of reasons that we can respond to this invitation right here and now. Help us to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen.